Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on El Flow... Cada DJ ya tenía su grupo. Each DJ had his own group, and it was pretty serious war. Eso fue lo que enriqueció las tiraderas. That fueled the tiraderas, what we call tiraera, because one person throws out a rhyme, then the other person responds with a rhyme. Siempre va a haber tiraera. There will Siempre. always be tiraera. There has always been tiraera. Even in salsa, there has been tiraera. Come on. Todavía estaba en un proceso de bajo mundo, el underground. Underground was still in the underworld. There was a lot of shooting, a lot of fist fights, a lot of everything. There were concerts where people died. Si te das cuenta de esas canciones, if no you pay attention, those songs that knocked out badly just to sell, it was because they told stories that made you laugh. They fuck up parties, they fuck in the mountains, they fuck in your car and wherever they go. Piss on her con, spit on her face. The fucking bitch is worthless. But they are stories. <laughs> what happens when the music from the streets with its references to violence, sex, and drugs becomes so popular it spreads into the wealthiest neighborhoods? Like clockwork, the authorities decide it's time to put a stop to it. And this is how the underground movement in Puerto Rico became collateral damage in a much larger battle between the state and the street. Puerto Rico necesita un nuevo líder. Pedro Rosselló, mano dura contra el crimen. In February 1993, Puerto Rico's governor, Pedro Rosselló, announced Operation Centurion, popularly known as Mano Dura Contra el Crimen, or the Iron Fist Against Crime a sweeping effort to combat rising drug use and trafficking on the island. Law enforcement in the United States and Puerto Rico knew the territory had become a point of entry for drugs coming from South America to the United States. Most continued its route north, but what remained on the island was growing. Between 1980 and 1990, crime rose 129% on the island. Rosselló wanted a quick and forceful response against drug traffickers. Mano dura contra el traficante de drogas. Cero libertad bajo palabra. 
This is El Flow, a journey to the roots of reggaeton. My name is Lilia Luciano, a CBS News correspondent born and raised in Puerto Rico, the cradle of reggaeton. You're listening to episode 11, Mano Dura. Governor Rosselló's plan of attack was aimed at the public housing complexes known as caserios, the projects. The caserios in Puerto Rico, like many neighborhoods throughout Latin America, have their dose of joy and anguish, of love and tragedy. Like any sazón, they have a bit of everything. Most of the underground artists and producers grew up in the caserios. Their music was born there, and that's where they first tasted fame. Like Lito MC. De donde yo vengo, yo he visto a mis amigos morir. De... Where I come from, I've seen my friends die at an early age. A straight bullet or whatever. So... You cry for a few days, you remember them with love, but you got to go on living. Always with the fear that maybe it'll be your turn next, or maybe you're the one who will have that impulsive reaction, or you'll have to defend yourself, or life just throws something at you. Learning how to get ahead in the caserios means getting a crash course on how to deal with everything from smuggling to shootings, especially in music. This is DJ Nelson. You know, if you look at the history of hip-hop, it was financed by drug dealing, and that's normal. And we, living in the conditions that we lived in, in our caserios, which we loved, for us, it was normal that a boy who was doing a shift selling whatever had five bucks to buy your mixtape. The caserios were initially a temporary government solution for low-income families. They proliferated in the 50s near middle-class communities under the government of Luis Muñoz Marín, the first governor elected by the people of Puerto Rico, who had the idea that integration would raise the economic status of its residents. Homes for everybody. Housing gets top priority in Puerto Rico's booming economy. So that's why they're like, let's put these caserios next to these middle-class people. And then just sort of like through osmosis, they'll learn the middle-class ways and everything will be great. They would stay there, learn these new ways, get on their feet, buy property, and move on. That's Petra Rivera Rido, a university professor and author of the book Remixing Reggaeton, which looks at issues of identity, race, and the influence of reggaeton on Puerto Rican society. What happens? Well, the reason people are poor is not because they feel like being poor. It's because there's all of these forms of institutional inequality and discrimination that prevent people from improving their situation. And so some people stay. They stay there. The original idea for the caserios did not go as planned. They became violent and perpetuated poverty. Many administrations tried different solutions that for one reason or another changed nothing. And that's how Manodura came to be. The idea was to roll it out in three stages. Rescue, restoration, and re-empowerment. The first phase, the quote-unquote rescue, consisted of raiding the caserios, arresting suspected criminals, and searching their property for weapons, drugs, or contraband. In the hours before dawn on June 4, 1993, National Guard soldiers and Puerto Rican police officers in helicopters and military vehicles stormed the Villa España housing project in San Juan. The raid was the first of 74 carried out over the course of three years. They marched in. Bang, 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 bang. It looked like a movie. Again, Lito MC. We're talking about the National Guard, and everyone has a rifle, and everyone is dressed as if they're going to war. Psychologically, 
it was tough. Wherever you look, you see someone in a military uniform and a rifle. And they say, it's mano dura. Looking for drug caches and the gang members who ran the business, the police engaged in gun battles inside the caserios. They often even broke into the apartments of innocent families to carry out their searches. Y supuestamente están protegiéndonos contra el crimen, pero si... And they're supposedly protecting us against crime, but they're also invading our privacy. If you go down with your kids to the park, you see a guy with an M16 standing in front of the swings. So they do a show of force, and at the same time, they practice controlling the masses. Not everyone saw it that way. I hear people then and now from the university say that the criminalization of the poor began that day the police entered to the caserios and took over. No, that was a day to celebrate because for the first time, children were able to go outside to play after having been locked up for years. This is Milton Picon, a peculiar and relevant character for this story. He's originally from the Villa España Projects and is now a church pastor. I mean, look, I grew up in a public housing. I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I grew up there and I know what this can do to a little boy who is about to become a school dropout. And the older kids at the corner drug spot are already getting in his head about dropping out for good and join them. And then to commit the first murders. Regardless of where you stand on this issue, the reality is that the control tactics put on the population during Mano Dura by the government effectively made several caserios off-limits. One big thing they also do is they build these huge gates around large caserios. I mean, they literally, to me, look like prisons are these big, large gates. They are, Some have guard towers that are occupied by police or National Guards people to kind of observe what's going on in the caserio. The assumption being that if you have this kind of police or military style occupation, you'll be able to uh, diminish crime, right? They put up the fence and even put barbed wire on it. What that did was lock us up even more than we already were. So in the rich areas, the crooks couldn't get in. And in the poor areas, the poor couldn't get out. Mano Dura did little or nothing to curb drug use among white-collar users or to disrupt large-scale drug trafficking to the north, not to mention poverty, which is at the root of everything we're talking about. And just over a year after it got underway, Mano Dura was going from bad to worse, but the government was unwilling to admit defeat. This is not as effective of a strategy as they initially intended. Because again, living in a caserio doesn't necessarily mean that you are a criminal, right? So they don't find as much stuff as they expected to find in a lot of places. There's crime in other parts of Puerto Rico that don't get addressed at all by this problem, right? It's all, in my opinion, a kind of symbolism to control this crime wave and that targets a group of people that have been targeted, you know, historically and been blamed for these social ills. And it's a way of saying, look at these people. These people are the problem. As time passed, that very mano dura way of ascribing blame set its sights on the music scene. There are a lot of people who grow up in Caserios who become underground rappers or reggaeton singers. Someone like Daddy Yankee would be a good example. As a result of that, underground is seen as sort of the cultural wing of this crime wave. Underground artists are saying that they're telling the stories of what happens in the street, what happens in their daily lives. 
There are, of course, rumors that circulate that maybe there are certain drug dealers funding the parties or funding the recordings. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now is a good time to talk about another side of Milton Picón the community leader. Because by then, Milton had already led successful campaigns against the distribution of pornography on the island, and he began to worry about what he was seeing with underground. What motivates me to intervene? Well, first, many of the songs at that time obviously glamorized the use of drugs. They were very explicit in relation to drug use as well as the objectification of women. They were super hardcore. 
that really weighed heavily in our way of thinking to be able to insert ourselves into the public debate. In the 1980s, Bigong had worked as a police officer specializing on pornography cases known in court as obscenity. After he left the force, he was frequently consulted by the police on how to proceed in sensitive cases. La policía para aquel tiempo pues no, no estaba trabajando tanto con los casos de, de obscenidad. The police at the time were not working as much on obscenity cases. And when the first reggaeton case arrived, they were totally lost. In other words, when we wanted to deal with someone who was in the world of obscenity, I assigned undercover agents weekly to intervene. And when I intervened, they were toast. And so it was that in February 1995, agents with the Drug and Vice Unit raided six music stores in the San Juan area, including at the well-known Plaza Las Americas shopping mall, and issued six citations for obscenity. Hundreds of cassettes and underground CDs were seized and taken away, as DJ Playero recalls. Oh man, they were everywhere. They hit every record store, every record label, every distributor. They were arrested and they seized all the merchandise because they said that the music was pornographic. There was a time that if you listened to our music in your car, you were fined $500. They arrested the distributor, the one who distributed our music. That's DJ Negro. He remembers how it all played out. The police alleged that the recordings violated local obscenity laws because of their direct sexual references and because they incited violence and drug use. But there were other interests at stake. By that time, underground had already exploded everywhere. The songs, the records, the vocabulary was totally expressive, obscene. Underground was the fall guy, the scapegoat. El gobierno, y no tan solo el gobierno, habían industrias musicales. The government and some parts of the music industry and large corporations decided to stop us. Let's find an excuse and tell them that this music is very obscene. And the same thing happened in the United States, where they had broken CDs in the crane and showed it in the media, like, in the U.S., rap is being stopped. Look, what happened with NWA and Two Live Crew, in terms of their beef with the cops and the legal battles, was actually very similar to the crossroads the underground movement was going through. When that happened, all the big producers got together and they tried to fight back against that because they were taking CDs out of the stores. Sometimes we couldn't even perform live. Hasta me me they were even looking for me. In fact, I was going to do a party and they called me to tell me not to go because the cops were waiting for me. I still don't know why. Who does know why they were looking for Playero and his peers is Milton Picón. Here, in order to do a Caesar, you have to go through a process. There has to be an undercover agent. That undercover agent has to sign an affidavit. That affidavit has to be taken to a prosecutor. The judge has to hear the statement or hear the tape or video or audio and say, I think there is probable cause to determine that this audio is obscene. In Playero's case, they needed to confirm that he was producing the records. As one of Underground's top producers, he was in the police's crosshairs. If you brought me a Playero 38, you go to five store and you want to say these people are distributing Playero 38 and have a lot of records. 
you can go there and seize one Playero 38, just one. If there are 100, you leave the other 99 there. Obviously, when the police went and took away the whole 100, they committed an infraction, and the raid was illegal. In court, the main point of contention was freedom of expression. The artists and producers claimed their basic constitutional rights were being violated. Censorship, pure and simple. It was freedom of expression, which is what it is. What Puerto Rico recognizes being a part of the United States, a territory of the United States, it has the same law. The Superior Court of San Juan ended up dismissing the charges against the store owners and distributors. The fix was easy. A little black label with white letters that read explicit lyrics. And with that, the crusade to turn underground into some sort of serious crime ended in shame. The government lost the case because it couldn't prove what they were alleging and what they were accusing us of. And they had to return all the merchandise, everything they had seized. All the controversy did bring about something positive. The scandal bought the movement free advertising and showed them that there was a market for songs with clean lyrics. The first to ride that new wave was, of course, DJ Negro. Before this operation happened, I'm telling the guys, I think our lyrics are too much. I say to them, let's do something different. Let's make a record of bolero ballads. Ah, you're crazy, you're crazy. Come on, it will be different. No, chacho, no. DJ Playero is going to roll over us. You guys are going to be great, okay? The day of the recording, everyone brought their bolero. Baby Rasta and Gringo record. Cuando se llevan Dinoy 2 y Dinoy 1 de las tiendas, ya yo había mandado a hacer el Dinoy 3. When they seized the Noise 2 and the Noise 1 from the stores, I had already ordered the Noise 3 to be made. And it just so happens that the album arrived the same week that they seized the records from the stores. So, you know, the only album being sold was the Noise 3. <laughs> that was a blessing. I told the guys, I told you we had to do something different. And everyone knew I was right. <laughs> the court, the label, and the new songs launched underground on the radio and in sales. With acceptance came an important revelation. We had no understanding of how the music business worked. Royalties, airplays, and all kinds of stuff. Getting played on the radio, you understand? The benefits of owning the master? We didn't know anything about any of that. Ironically, the legal and commercial success also spelled the end of the underground era, when what mattered most was the pure passion of making music nothing else. Looming on the horizon was something really big. Something uncontrollable. Ya el underground dejó de ser underground para eso del 1996. Underground stopped being underground in like 1996 more or less. It was just not the same underground as in like 91, 93 which was totally clandestine. That was the most beautiful moment ever and I'll never forget it because it's almost impossible to repeat. Right now, reggaeton, urban music, whatever you want to call it, in the music industry, is the movement that is sustaining the record labels. And where did it come from? From underground, from Puerto Rico to the world. 
Next time on El Flow, we take a look back at the first half of our season and preview what's to come on El Flow in 2022. El Flow is a production of Exile Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. The show is hosted by me, Lilia Luciano, and was created and produced by Vitenis Di Julis. Production and sound design by Dixo. Additional production by David Quiñones, Mirna Couto, Hermes Ayala, and Natalia Merced. Story editing by Nuria Net. Original music by Truco. Production supervision by Álvaro Céspedes. Executive producers for Exile Content Studio are Nando Vila, Isaac Lee, and Alejandro Uribe. Executive producers for iHeartMedia are Connell Byrne and Giselle Bances. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.